Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. So last week I didn't get a chance to do a show. The week before, you all knew I I knew I wouldn't be able to do a show that Sunday. I wanted to, and I probably could have if I had forced myself. But, you know, one thing that I'm learning is to take some self-care time out and not to push myself um, further than what I should really go Um and that's on so many different levels, so many different situations, and you know, it can be applied to a number of different things. So um, last Sunday I wasn't able to do a show, so I'm back this Sunday, and so much has taken place. You know, so many things that I do want to touch on, and um, we don't have the time. But, you know, I don't know. You know, it's been a hard week. And, I, I mean, you just you sit here and you try to figure out, you know, what the hell is going on around these parts. You know, it's bad enough we're already on edge because of pinky in the brain up there in D.C. And you know, what they're taking us through in this country. And, you know, with the indictments that just came down against the 13 Russians who helped to facilitate, you know, that that sophisticated shadow campaign, um, it's, it's, it's been a ride. It's, it's been a ride. And so, you know, it's kind of hard to think in situations like that. And the reason why I say that is because, you know, I'm pretty sure you've heard people call them agents of chaos and mayhem. And I know I've, you know, um, I've called them that as well in the past. And it's true. And they whip up so much drama, so much controversy that, you know, you don't get a chance to sit back and think and breathe because you're too caught up in what's happening, and and that's what it's meant to do. It's meant to not give you time or clarity or the wherewithal to really sit back and think about, you know, what's happening, what's really going on, and, and why. And so I was having that conversation with someone the other day, regarding um, this pinky in the brain administration and and the direction that they're taking the country in. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, the federal appointments, judgeships and appointments and things of that nature that have taken place. And what's unfortunate about it is you have so many people that that missed, you know, these things that are happening there, being so focused on, you know, the Playboy model, being focused on tweets, 
being focused on a number of things that I'm not saying they aren't important, right? But what I am saying is we can't lose focus. We can't lose sight of, you know, what's what's really going on, what's really going on and how this is going to impact us long term. And so I wanted to bring that back to, you know, people's attention. And so, you know, we're going to talk today about identity politics again. And, you know, I've been tiring of that particular type of conversation, you know, that particular narrative. But we can't necessarily get away from it because it is a reality and, you know, one thing I will say that's true is that they found a way to, and I mean, this is not new. You know, I want you guys to understand that none of this is new about how they've taken identity politics and weaponized it in a number of different areas. And so, you know, we've talked about white on white crime. I did a show about it a few years ago. You know, see little things here and there, because, I mean, you, you can't live in this reality and not see what's happening here, but also you can't live in this reality without understanding the double standards and had that shooting taken place by a black person or any person of color that's a part of any type of social justice movement especially if it's one based on black radical tradition, you know, radical black tradition, right? And, you know, it's just interesting because, I mean, if you go out here and you start looking at some of the conversations that are taking place, you know, a lot of the black radicals, a lot of the activists and organizers are being thrown under the bus. You know, we kind of expected it from you know, the, some whites, that includes some of the progressive liberal whites. And we expected it from some blacks as well, but, you know, some of the people that have been just totally trashing these organizations, trashing, um, you know, the focus of many of these organizations, I've just been a little surprised. Um, it, but, you know, that's not what I want to talk about right now. We will get to this. What I want to talk about briefly before we get into the show topic, is I need for you guys to pay more attention to what's happening in the news with black organizers and activists that are being killed and murdered, that are being arrested you know, and in some cases, some of them have committed suicide, but some of them have been suicided, you know, and you take what you will from that. But it's it's been a lot happening, and it's not getting the coverage that it should get. Um, one person that passed away was, um, you know, prominent Black Lives Matter activist, right? So apparently he was in New Orleans, and he was riding his bike, and he was shot, and he died. You know, his name was Mohidin Moye, right? And I want you guys to go and look that up. 
you know, look up and see what happened with him. And, you know, my condolences to his family, friends, extended family, and everybody impacted, especially um, the BLM community, because this was a huge loss. And so, you know, for those of you that may be like, who is he? If you remember that video from Charleston, South Carolina, when they had that Confederate flag and you saw the young man hop over the police tape and grab the flag until they caught him, that was him. So, you know, that may be the one thing that will jar your memory to make you think of who he is. And you can go down and find more information um, on the Internet. And so, you know, he was, you know, he was, you know, really passionate about what he did, and, and you know, of course, there have been some questions surrounding this, and yes, I'm being very careful with my words here. There's a reason for that. And, you know, he was only 32 years of age, you know, so he was a young man. And, you know, you know, you can go out and find some articles, some interviews that he gave, and um, we want to get a better understanding of who he is. But my point is, is that, you know, the FBI is starting to target, or not starting, they've always been targeting, but they've ramped up quite a bit in targeting these so-called black identity extremists, right? And so for those that aren't aware, um, Rakim Balogan, you know, you know, y'all know I, I kill these names. So anyway, he was one of the co-founders of the Huey Newton Gun Club, right, based out of Dallas. For those that don't remember, they... Uh, this, they marched around Dallas armed, which they had every right to do. It's perfectly legal. And so what happened was the FBI started, sur- you know, surveilling him. And basically they picked him up. And I guess there was a domestic violence charge from many, many years ago. And so they're trying to justify his arrest based on that past incident. So I don't have information about that particular incident, you know, but, you know, they targeted this guy for a couple of years. And I guess they had been, you know, following him around. And, you know, and these aren't just the only two situations. I mean, there are a lot of different things that have been happening. If you really want to, you know, be shook, I guess, you know, go and do a search on activists and organizers that are from Ferguson specifically. And I think you'll be shocked. But, you know, you have organizers and activists all over this country, really globally, that are being targeted by these different so-called intelligence agencies And, you know, people are being killed, people are being arrested, people are being threatened, people are being silenced, you have people losing their jobs, you know, and and, and then there are just some people just disappearing, you know, all these mysterious circumstances are popping up, you know, coincidences, 
And so we need for you guys to be vigilant in keeping an eye on this thing and um, reporting it and sharing that information because we do know that there's a media blackout because the Pinky and the Brain Administration does not want any of these social movement covered by the news. And he'll get angry and punish them even more than what he's doing now if they, you know, if, if the media covers this. But thank goodness for independent media. Thank goodness for, you know, the people, the young people, the middle-aged people, you know, the people with the sage wisdom right there that understand the technology and that's putting it out there. And for those that do not have the means of, you know, using the technology or what have you, pass the information along to someone else so that they can get it out there and, um, you know, keep people informed. But, yeah, you know, I want you guys to go out there and take a look. Um, in 2018, it's, it's a report that was published by Foreign Policy, and it broke down the case for Rakim Balaga. I guess his real name is Christopher Daniels, right? And it details, you know, um, how he was surveilled by the FBI for two years, and then they raided his home, took his weapons, and and they were I guess offended that he had a book called Negroes with Guns by Robert F. Williams. And for those who have been listening to the show for a while, you know, I've talked about that book. I've um, encouraged you guys to go and get the book and read it. Um, For those of you that are out there that are new or fairly new, I am one of those people, I do believe in the Second Amendment. And I do believe in, you know, bearing arms, having the right to bear arms to defend yourself, your family, and your property, you know. But I'm not saying that everybody needs an AK-47, you know, or a Tech 9 or any of those things, you know, M-16s. You know, you don't need that much firepower. And if you need to put 400 bullets in a deer, there's nothing left. You know, it's, it's not a sport anymore. But, um, you know, these mass murders, you know, it's, it's interesting because I it was some type of commentary. It was one of those news shows. It was on MSNBC. And they were talking about the difference between the mass shootings with the white folks, you know, shooting up movie theaters, concerts, schools, and all of that, is that it's quick. And they compared it to, you know, the the – the issues and and the violence, intercommunal violence in black communities. And they said, well, it's mass murder in slow motion. And so I thought that was really interesting, and I really need to sit down and kind of think that out and write it out and um, do some research on that. But, you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, What's happening now, you know, they're taking the identity politics yet again, and they're weaponizing it. And what they're saying is if you are embracing any type of identification outside of, you know, mainstream America, I guess they want to make it more homogenous, but if you're identifying outside of what they declare 
or what they deem as American, then you're a threat and quite possibly a terrorist. And so you need to get a better understanding of what's happening out here because this is very real. And, you know, there are some people of other ethnicities and cultures and nationalities that are disappearing and being killed and arrested. You know, one particular um, white woman just disappeared in December. No one has heard from her. You know, and I'm not going to say her name, but, um, you know, shit like this is real and it's happening. And so for some of you, you know, what's interesting is I was having a conversation via email with um, a white person, and I sent them the link to the FBI's report on black identity extremists, and they were surprised. They knew nothing about that. And, you know, there are some black people and other people of color that are aware of this particular designation. And it will be to your benefit to understand what is happening, you know. And so it's interesting because it's like if you identify, you know, as part of a particular group that's on the outskirts or the outliers of mainstream America, then apparently that's a bad thing unless it's a group that centralizes its focus on white, cisgendered, heterosexual men, right? If that's the focus, then they can tolerate it. But, you know, if if that's not the focus, then we have a problem. And what's interesting is some of this is evident by looking at the reaction of the Me Too movement the women's movement, the women running for office and, and their responses to it. And it's like they hate women more than they hate the Russians, right? You know, that should be a big, big, big signal to you. But, um, you know, there aren't that many coincidences in this world. So I just need for you guys, again, to keep an eye on that, you know, because how dare you identify as being a part of or an ally to someone who's part of the LGBTQ community. Because, of course, they see that as an outlier group, with the exception of white male gays, gays, you know, and and with the marriage issue, you know, a lot of that has to do with you know, contracts, laws, all of those things, the benefits of being in a marriage or a civil union, right? And I know there's a difference between the two. Don't send me any emails. I'm just stating it that way. And so, you know, again, if you identify as black, brown, red, or yellow, and part of that group of people and and being and taking pride in who you are and and focusing on the issues that, you know, impact those particular communities, well, they consider you an extremist as well. You know, why are you playing the race car? You know, everything will be fine if you would stop, stop talking about it, right? Well, aren't we all humans? I don't see color. 
I'm colorblind. You know, we, we've heard it all. And so you have that going on, you know, if you're disabled and you participate in or you're an ally to the movements that have taken place over the years, you know, with that particular community, you know, they consider that as extreme as well. And especially when you have these disabled people you know, protesting, I mean, they are hardcore. And that's not even recent. You need to really go back and look at some of the history and how they were throwing themselves in the middle of the street and locking themselves together and, and creating a PR nightmare for the government because it did not look good for them to be snatching people up out of their wheelchair and arresting them, you know, or wheeling them into the paddy wagon, Right. And so, you know, this is one of the reasons why some of the legislation that has been passed, it was due to the fact that, you know, people in the disabled community went out and protested. And so it's interesting when you have some of these people who are opposed to identity politics telling the disabled community, well, you're just making it worse for yourself. You're bringing attention to your so-called disability. See, had you not done that, I never would have known that you were disabled, right? I, I didn't see that wheelchair. And heaven forbid if you have an invisible disability, something that's not necessarily immediately and clearly identified. You know, there are issues with that as well. And so it's it's just amazing, you know, your gender, you know, identifying as a woman and being proud of being a woman. How dare you? You're not supposed to do that either. You know, because when, when white men talk, they're speaking for all of us. And if we were just to sit down and be quiet, they would make sure that the rest of us receive what they deem we deserve. And so when you start challenging, you know, the status quo, when you start challenging the so-called powers that be, you know, you're going to get a lot of pushback, and we're seeing quite a bit of this. And so, you know, I was talking about, um, you know, identity politics in regards to gender. We won't even talk about gender nonconforming and the hell that they're getting you know, with, especially with this Pinky in the Brain administration. And it's just been an absolute nightmare. And, again, they had no problems defending Porter and, you know, a number of other people that have been accused of some type of violence, domestic violence specifically. And we understand why why Trump is trying to deflect, you know. And when I say we understand, I'm not saying that we're giving him a pass. We just know he's trying to cover up his shit. He doesn't give a damn about those people. The only person he cares about is himself. And that's been made more and more evident over, you know, since he's been elected. I mean, hell, it was evident before he was elected, which is why some of us could not understand, you know, how some of you all went out there to vote for this guy. So basically, the moral of the story, children, is go along to get along. That's what they want you to do. They want you to shut up and dribble, shut up and sing, shut up and do whatever, but 
leave us alone, you know, because they have an agenda and they intend on achieving that agenda, marking everything off, everything on their itinerary. And, again, by having this particular pinky in the brain administration in control and in control of both houses, and we won't even talk about the governorships and the state legislatures and, you know, all of this that's happening. You know, you need to pay attention to what's happening now with the gerrymandering and the redistricting and, you know, the lines and all of that. Some important cases have um, come out of um, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, you know, a number of places, and it will be to your benefit to keep an eye on that and to better acquaint yourself with what's going on. But, you know, if if you're not going to go along and get along, you're considered a threat. And what's interesting is that we've been so indoctrinated. When I say we, I'm specifically talking about black people because that's all I know. I've only been black. But, you know, we see some of the same issues in a brown, red, and Asian, in yellow communities as well. And, you know, they've trained us to keep each other in line. They don't even have to say anything because when you start talking about what's happening with these white people and um, these white people and these mass shootings and, you know, again, the white-on-white crime and uh, um, the white-on-white crime, mass shootings um, and the opioids and all of that, basically, you know, you're seen as a threat because they really want you to shut up about it so that they can deal with it, you know, the way that they see fit. And so, you know, it's, it's really telling. Because, you know, there are a lot of blacks that are throwing these organizers and activists under the bus. And, you know, it's heartbreaking, especially when you have people out here being killed, you got people being maimed, harmed, you have people being fired from their jobs, you know, and and being threatened. You know, there are people that have to, you know, shut down book tours, cancel book tours, You know, you've had people who have had to pick up and move out of their homes in the middle of the night because they had people knocking on the door or they would go outside and someone would be standing there and they would ask them, are you so-and-so and and -and so-and-so? Now imagine if you're a black woman with children and you're leaving home to, you know, take the kids to school or wherever and you have some random stranger, you know, a white male standing in front of your house or your building and asking you if you are Jane Doe. What would be your reaction? And since black women and girls in general aren't protected, you know, that particular woman really didn't have a choice. She had to leave. She had to move. You know, that was a very clear and present danger there. So it's it's a lot that's happening. It's a lot that's happening. You know, again, you got people that are being threatened to be fired from their jobs, you know, being given corrective actions or performance improvement plans when otherwise their evaluations have been 
excellent, outstanding, you know. And and then because they spoke out on social injustices in this country, you know, wealth inequality, a number of, I mean, we can take that in so many different directions. You know, it, it, it's threatening the status quo. And so basically, you know, they're being told that if you continue to speak that way, if you continue to put out these tweets or these Facebook statuses or posting on Instagram or what have you regarding these very volatile social, you know, issues in this country and other places, you know, if if you don't stop that, we're going to fire you. And so to put some fear in you, we're going to basically place you back on probation. You may have been working at that company two, three years, five, ten years, 20, 30, 40 years. There's no loyalty anymore. Absolutely none, especially when it boils down to dollars and cents. Power control. And so we got to keep all of that in mind. And so, um, yeah, you know, you know, these so-called black identity extremists are now being branded as terrorists. Um, I'm not sure if you all remember Jasmine Abdullah from Orange County, California, how she was arrested and convicted of terrorism. You know, well, really lynching, right? And, you know, that situation is still working itself out. But in essence, you know, that young woman's, you know, life was pretty much ruined. You know, and I had the opportunity, you know, to talk to her. And um, really sweet, really sweet, doing a lot of work with the young kids. And, you know, it's just been interesting. So, you know, regarding the black identity extremists, you know, designation, basically, I'm going to read the definition. And I'm getting this from the ACLU. So if you want to go and you want to read this article, the title of the article is, is the FBI setting the stage for increased surveillance of black activists? Again, is the FBI setting the stage for increased surveillance of black activists? This was written by Thaddeus Talbot and Hugh Handyside and Malachia Cyrils, right? And this was released October 18th of 2017. And the definition in this particular article, it says, the FBI defines black identity extremists as individuals who seek wholly or in part through unlawful acts of force or violence in response to perceived racism and injustice in American society, and some do so in furtherance of establishing a separate black homeland or autonomous black social institutions, communities, or governing organizations within the United States. That's a whole mouthful of confusion right there, right? And, um, you know, basically they made this up. And, of course, there is no white identity extremist report. And so it was interesting when Jeff Sessions was before Congress, you know, um, you know, and Maxine Waters started asking him questions and, you know, some of the other people, 
and how he was ducking and dodging and and basically, you know, playing a nut roll, right? Feigning ignorance, you know, feigning, uh, you know, a lack of knowledge, feigning, you know, lack of comprehension, just a number of things. And so it says that basically the FBI has been mapping racial and ethnic communities in the United States and, um, you know, and it's based on crude and false stereotypes about these particular communities and their and their propensity to commit certain crimes, right? So part of their, their domestic terrorism agenda, although they took money out of a, certain, a particular fund that kept an eye on, you know, the white nationalists, the Nazis, white supremacists, all of these folks, and they moved that money over to, you know, another team that focused on Muslims. And, you know, if you go and you look at the statistics, you know, the people committing the majority of the crimes in this country are white people, white men specifically. You know, so, you know, I I want you to go back and take a look at it do some reading on that. Um, another article that was written in Black Youth Project was how the FBI's black identity extremists label feeds into our willingness to throw black radicals under the bus. And this was written by Hari Zayat, right? And this was written on October, published on October 9, 2017. And in this particular article, I definitely want you to go and read it, but it talks about COINTELPRO. And, you know, programs of that nature in which they keep black black and brown people primarily under such surveillance. And the lengths that they will go to to suppress these particular uprisings, if you will. You know, I guess that's how they see it. Because um, I'm not sure if you all are familiar with you know, some of the terms from the past and 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 how black people were treated, you know, drapetomania is another word or diagnosis, right, that had been given to slaves that wanted to escape. So they felt that the slaves were mentally ill because as far as they were concerned, they were they were treating their slaves well. And you hear some of that same rhetoric and language in today's society and, 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 you know, when you talk to some of these politicians and even some of these individuals, and it's not just white folks that are saying that. Let's not get that twisted, right? And so, uh, <laughs> so basically, you know, if, if, you know, some of them are saying that these social movements, you know, black people think they're not being treated right. Latinx folks think that they're not being treated right. Muslims, and you know, and, and so on and so forth. Women, LGBTQ disabled, you know, and, and I guess they reckon that we have a mental illness, you know. And, again, this is so pseudoscience. And this has been a while, been around for a while, but... They describe it as a disease. You know, it was a disease. 
why would you want to flee captivity? And, you know, you had it so good. You know, you had a place to stay. You had a job. You had a family. You know, usually it was a family that you were forced to be a part of. You know, but, yeah, go ahead and look that up. Drapetomania. You know, I'll spell it out for you guys. D-R-A-P-E-T-O-M-A-N-I-A. All right? So go and do some research on that, but... You know, a lot of this terminology, a lot of these tropes and narratives have been around, you know, for a while. Um, Another article that I would like for you guys to go out and read is from Injustice Today, and it was written by Prince Shakur, right? So the title of the article is From COINTELPRO to Black Identity Extremists, Black Activists Face State Suppression When Fighting for Their Rights. And so, you know, one of the conversations that I've had with people is, well, sometimes you'll post articles or tell us, you know, go read these articles, and, you know, we don't agree with most of what's in there. That's fine. I don't agree with most of the things in some of the articles that I post. But usually there are, you know, some gold nuggets in there that I want you to catch. But in addition to that, I think it's important for you to understand what other people are thinking, the different perspectives that are out there. You know, I've always been one of those people who said, how can you, you know, convey your particular point, your particular argument, you know, your your debate points or what have you, if you do not understand what these other people believe and, and what they've been saying and and the foundation of their belief systems and their ideology, right? And so go back. Go read this. There are a number of other articles out there that I think would help you understand a lot better of what's been going on. But, you know, it's here talking about FBI agents, you know, visiting people's homes, you know, just openly visiting people at home, um, talking to their neighbors, or even talking to the person without identifying who they are, you know. And there have been some situations. And with some people, they're afraid to tell their stories. They're afraid to talk about it publicly, you know. But there have been some, you know, some skullduggery guys. I mean, you would not believe you know, and, and then they get angry if you retain a lawyer to contact the FBI agents back. You know, you know, how dare you do that? How dare you, you know, understand your basic rights and try to protect yourself? You know, they're not used to that. They're used to, you know, being able to push us around, pit us against one another, and, you know, and some of it is fear. You know, and when I talk about, you know, a lot of these black organizers and activists being thrown under the bus, especially the black radical ones, by other black people, black and brown people, you know, a lot of that is out of fear. It doesn't justify it. Again, a lot of that is out of fear. So, um, you know, it's, it's interesting, you know, how people are out here being harassed, and again, like I said, it's really serious. You got people being killed, 
You know, you got people being silenced. You got people being chased out of town. You know, hell, we we I've talked to people who have basically been told to leave the state and to never come back. And if you come back, they're going to find a reason to put you under the jail. Or they're going to find a reason to draw and quarter your ass. So, I mean, it's it's real. You know, you have these people that, you know, want to further their agenda by any means necessary. They're not going to allow you to, you know, interrupt their plans. And so that's what's been so interesting about this pinky in the brain administration is basically they believe that they're never going to really be charged with any of this. Now, you know, we see, you know, what's-his-face on Twitter tweeting, you know, till his fingers are about to ready to fall off his hands. And, you know, we think he's scared shitless over there because it's a lot of stuff that's getting ready to come out, but especially in regards to his finances and, you know, the money laundering and, you know, it's really going to be interesting if and when and how they use the RICO laws, right? So, you know, you got people turning over. You know, Bannon gave 20 hours of testimony to Mueller, and Gates just turned over, and we know Flynn turned over, and Manafort turned over. So this is getting really interesting, but, yeah, you know, I wanted to talk a little bit about the identity politics and how it's being weaponized. It always has been, you know, but they're ramping it up, especially after the Obama administration left office, right, and how they're reversing, you know, a lot of the executive orders and the laws that were put in place by, you know, um, President Obama and his administration. And so it's just interesting because I already feel like we're living under, you know, a permanent state of parole, if you will. You know, you can't make a move, can't speak a word, can't think a thought, can't sing a song unless it's approved by your white overseer, right? And, you know, that... That... um. You know, that's that's discouraging, and it's disheartening. And, you know, and I want to make sure when I say that, I'm not just talking specifically about Republicans and Libertarians and white supremacists and, you know, all of these different people. That also includes white liberals, progressives, and moderates because, you know, again, we talk about how their silence is complicit with the violence that's being projected onto all of these different communities. Because, you know, when they sit back and they're quiet or they'll tell us it's not time yet, this is not the right time, be quiet. We'll tell you when the time is right. Oh, you know, here we go, 10, 20 years later. Yeah, we still don't think it's the right time, but that's because they are not going to give up their white privilege. They're not going to allow you to disrupt their comfortability. And it's important that you understand that. And then some of that is resentment because there are still quite a few 
white moderates and liberals and Jewish folks and some other folks that are angry because they were pushed to the side during the civil rights movement, and also they were pushed to the side, you know, with the Black Lives Matter movement as well. And, and, you know, they wanted to get to the microphone and speak our pain. It's bad enough you're stealing our words and capitalizing off of it while not citing black women and brown women, you know, not citing them, not paying them, not acknowledging them, none of that. You know, you just, in, in many cases, disparage them. And when the information came out that 53% of white women voted for Donald Trump, then you got angry because we weren't out here leading the parade, you know, announcing, you know, your woman's march, your women's march, this year or last year, you know, and we were called divisive. You know, we were called divisive when we refused to go to some type of conference you were having on a plantation. And, you know, there are a number of other, a number of other examples of this. But yet we're ungrateful. And so, again, you know, it's the language, it's the narrative, of you know, and, and how it is basically, you know, kind of deflected and thrown upon us. So, you know, they're never the problem. It's always us. And when we want to talk about race and some of these other issues, oh, well, that's too divisive. That's not what we wanted to talk about today. And And they'll let us know when it's a good time to talk about these things. And so, you know, again, as Donald Trump was saying, um, you know, some of these very fine people who led some of his original parades over in Charlottesville, right, you know, some of these very fine people, you know, um, were antagonized other troublemakers over there, you know, black and brown people and some of the self-hating white allies, you know, which is how they describe them. But the white supremacists, the white nationalists and alt-writers and all of them people, you know, they were very fine people, you know, and, and how dare we. And so it's been interesting, you know, and, and if you look and see what's happening you know, you have some very fine, angry, cisgendered, heterosexual, white, male, domestic terrorists running around here creating havoc, you know, and, and it's, it's really discouraging because, you know, you want to point the finger, you know, had that been someone who identified with any of these, you know, movements, whether it's a black movement, you know, brown movement, red movement, yellow movement, what have you, any of these outliers, right, they would have been blaming the community. They probably would have been going door to door in certain communities that have been categorized as a Muslim community. We already know what they want to do to Chicago, you know, what they have been doing in Chicago and these other major metropolitan cities. And they would have been over there with some more tiki torches and dragging people out of their homes. You know, when we had the issues with John Burge in Chicago, 
what they were doing is they would drive around and they would see black men and boys walking around and they were snatching them up and off the street, taking some of them to the police station, taking some of them to black sites, you know, beating them, you know, people disappearing, which, you know, they probably ended up as one of those unidentified bodies in the city more, right? And so these families never knew and never understood what happened to their family members. And so a lot of this, you know, has been going on for a while. But as a black woman, you know, I shouldn't have to sit here and and basically visually search white people, specifically white men, when they walk into the room. You know, if I'm at a school, they walk in, I'm looking them over trying to see if I identify any type of weapons on them, walk into the restaurant or the movie theater, just walking up and down the damn street or the grocery store. You know, it's getting to the point where, as you know, because, again, you have some of these white supremacist domestic terrorists that are out here slicing people's throats in public and not giving a damn just shooting people. I mean, just a lot, snatching folks off the street. And and now it's at the point where I'm starting to feel like, you know, I got to eyeball every white person, but especially every white man that I see, especially if they're walking towards me or attempting to have a conversation. Because at this point, we don't know who the hell is doing what, who is part of what group, what they're going to do. You know, and so, you know, it's interesting because, you know, they want to impose, you know, all of these different sanctions or these 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 um, curfews and all of these things on these different communities, you know, when they had the protesters out in Baltimore and down in Sanford and Ferguson and a number of other places. They were put on curfews, and they were closely surveilled and, you know, searched pulled over, harassed, all of these things. So why aren't they doing this to these white men? You know, these white men and boys who are going and shooting up the place, posting videos about it, putting it on their Facebook. And what's so interesting about the situation in Parkland is that there were a few reports that went to the FBI, but they were disregarded. But had that been somebody of color, specifically someone was black and someone who identified as Muslim, you know, it would have been a state of emergency. Everybody would have been locked down. There would have been curfews. You know, you would have had to show your identification, you know, for you to walk down the street. So, I mean, you know, why aren't these people being monitored? Why aren't their activities being limited until we figure out what the hell is going on, right? Isn't that what Trump said? You know, we want to stop all of this until we figure out what the hell is going on? Why does that not apply to white men? You know, why are they not being penalized until they learn how to act out or act properly in public? You know? But, of course, so, I mean, you got all of that going on. And, um, you know, the fact that they're able to get away with these things and it's being justified, 
is is outrageous. And um, you know, there was an article that came out that you know a prominent person in in the secular community, um, in this case, Steven Pinker. And what he's stating parallels what, you know, Sam Harris had been putting out there regarding identity politics and how identity politics is dangerous and especially when it comes down to Black Lives Matter and any of the social movements really by black and brown people and how it's dangerous, how it's counterproductive, you know, but yet you have all of these angry white men in the secular community. You know, you have all these alt-writers and libertarians that are in the secular community, but it's okay because they're white, heterosexual, cisgendered, somewhat educated to highly educated white men who have, quote, unquote, earned their way. You guys understand that meritocracy is a myth, but is there. And that is, you know, what they claim to be the premise of a lot of their actions in that particular, you know, um, secular community, as well as that myth of exceptionalism. I mean, it's, um, it's, it's amazing, the double standards. But, you know, you guys, you may want to go out and look up Steven Pinker to realize who he is and understand, you know, his rise to fame and, and his stature and and basically who he is and why he's heralded as a scholar. And, you know, again, we all know how I feel about some of this. It does not matter if you have the entire alphabet behind your name. That does not make you smart. You know, and so, you know, just go do some reading. Go do some reading. You know, what happened in Florida, in Parkland, at that school, that was horrific. You know, 17 people died. And so what's happening now is that these students are organizing, and they are going to have a march. Let me see here. Where is the information? Um, I think it's the 24th, March 24th. So they're going to have rallies and marches in all of the major cities in the United States. They're going to have a big, huge-ass rally, I guess, in D.C. to demand action on gun violence. And, you know, I commend these young folks. You all, let them organize. Support them. Support them. You have young people that are trying to step up. You know, when it comes to the activism and organizing and all of that, that's a young man and a young woman's, you know, that that's their thing. I don't have the energy for it, and I'm not even going to lie. I don't have the energy for it, um, you know, you know, I just, I don't have it in me. You know, I'm older, right? You know, but I do have enough energy to encourage them. I do have enough energy to raise funding, raise money to give them, take money out of my pocket, you know, and and, and help them with different things and, and resources. 
And so, I mean, it's not even about money. If you have resources, I mean, retweet the stuff. Put it out there. You know, with these children and what they're doing, you know, demanding action on gun violence, you know, is is needed. And even though I'm pro-Second Amendment, I believe that a lot of this has really gotten out of hand. You know, and I don't believe that they should take all the guns out of households. I do not agree with that. However, if you need a gun that's shooting, you know, 100 bullets in a second, you're not a real sportsman. That's that's not how you do that. You know, why don't we get you, you know, a pellet gun or, or something like that? You know, you got way too much time on your hands. And um, But, yeah, this needs to be addressed. But most importantly, we need to stop them from scapegoating people with mental health issues, especially when one of the first things that Donald Trump did was rescind, you know, uh, you know I believe it was an executive order that Barack Obama pushed through, and I apologize for not having that information in front of me, but basically... Donald Trump reversed some things and basically made it easier for people that are mentally ill that have been deemed um, not worthy or deemed as ineligible. There you go. Ineligible to have firearms. Well, they can get firearms now. And so what's so interesting about that is, you know, we keep talking about this problem that we're having with the guns and, you know, wrong people being able to get a hold of the guns. It's a manufactured problem. And I need for you to understand that, you know, one of the pundits on the news show today, I think it was on Joy's show, AM Joy, right? And so the guy was basically, again, you know, there was a book out there called How to Lie with Statistics. And so what he was saying is that, you know, in the jail systems, in the jails and prisons, that the majority of the people in the jails and prisons have some type of mental health issue. But, see, there's a story behind that. They cut the funding of, you know, mental health care. You know, like they closed down a lot of the centers. The money is being you know, diverted and spent on other things, not only at the federal level, but most importantly at the state level, right? They have turned these jails and prisons into mental health care facilities, which is why Sheriff Dart in Chicago ended up hiring a psychologist, a black woman, as the warden because they need to deal with those particular issues. We go back to the 80s when Ronald Reagan was in office, he basically shut down a lot of the transient hotels. And so the mentally ill people who were released from the, you know, the facilities and the asylums that were closed, and some of them didn't close, but they had to push people out because the funding was being cut. By those transient hotels being shut down, they had no place to go. And and, and some of them had to resort to some activities that would get them back indoors. And unfortunately, in some cases, that meant jail or prison. 
And so, you know, they're taking that information and they're twisting it and they're pointing at, you know, mental health care in this country, yet they still continue to cut the funding. They they continue to shut down, you know, the different facilities that are out there, yet they continue to stigmatize people that have mental health care issues. Yet they continue to cut health care and, and access to health care. And a lot of these insurance companies have cut back on the type of treatment you can receive if you have a mental health care issue. You know, and then also, you know, in some cases, you know, and, you know, I'm not an expert on any of this, and I... I don't profess to be one. But in some cases, when you come from some neighborhoods that are, you know, dealing with intracommunal violence, and you see all the devastation, you see the murders, you see the rapes, you see just the tragedies, you know, it does create issues for some people. You know, post-traumatic stress disorder is one of them because of what they're seeing, what they're dealing with, what they may have been a victim of, what they may have participated in, but not necessarily of their own volition. I mean, there are a number of things, you know, and 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 it's created. You know, and so what's interesting, I, I forgot to read what I was doing the show about today since I've gone into it. So let me go back over here. You know, today's show, the title of it is um, the title of the show, Black Community, What About White on White Crime? And I say, please join us as we examine white on white crime again. Why are they so angry? Why are they killing themselves when they are worried about population decline? Why are they scapegoating the mentally ill? Why have they turned jails and prisons into mental health care facilities? Why did they gut funding for mental health care services? Why aren't they discussing the fact that they are allowing dangerous, mentally ill people to purchase guns? And I just talked about that with um, the reversal that Donald Trump had done, making it so that people who were on certain lists that had mental health care issues, that they weren't able to, to, to purchase guns. Now they can't because of Donald Trump's reversal, right? You know, why did they get funding for mental health care services? Should we listen to anyone who has received money from the NRA? Would things change? You know, would things change if more black, brown, red, and yellow people purchase guns and create their own version of the NRA? And you have people out there saying maybe black, brown, red, yellow people should join the NRA. You know, why would we fund that terrorist organization? But I mean, I understand the sentiment behind it, right? But um. You know these. You know some of the things. You know that we that I'm talking about. And what I will say is, you know, go out there and read about these young people. And I guess they're organizing March for Our Lives. That's the name of their rally, March for Our Lives. That is to take place all across the United States on March 24th. 
And, um, you know, I support these young people and what they're trying to do. They want to bring attention to gun control. And and basically, you know, what I'm loving is that they're creating a badge of shame for politicians who take money from the NRA and other gun rights groups. And I personally feel that the politicians who take money from these particular groups they should be voted out of office. But I feel that way about other groups outside of, you know, gun rights groups and NRAs and money that's being taken from these corporations and all of that to fund these politicians. All of that should be illegal. So, you know, if I were you, I would advise you to go out and read up about Citizens United and ALEC and, you know, a number of things that are out there that help to create the environment that we're living in and 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 basically how they pretty much own these politicians. And this is nothing new. This is happening even before Citizens United, you know, before that case went before the Supreme Court. But, you know, we need to start calling them out and calling them out on this because we were able to, and when I say we, I'm talking about we as Americans. You know, remember we had to go up against you know, the tobacco corporations to make some changes and and force them to put those labels on cigarettes and all of these things. So it can be done. It can be done. So anyway, you know, getting a little bit more into the foundation of what I wanted to talk about today is basically, you know, I'm looking at everything that's happening here And personally, I just feel that, you know, America, because I'm talking about America, other countries do not have to deal with mass murders or mass shootings like we do here. And that's telling. It speaks volumes. And so what's so interesting is, you know, when I talk to people about American history and what's been going on in this country, And I talk about the seeds that have been sown in this country, you know, the seeds of murder, theft, you know, destruction, oppression, toxic alienity, misogyny, of course, you know, homophobia, transphobia, and these are tools of sexism, right? And there's much, much, much more. But these are the seeds that have been sown into the very soil of this country from the very beginning, right? And when I say that, I'm talking about when the Americans came to this country. I am not talking about the indigenous people, the First Nations people. I'm not talking about them. Okay? And so what happened was, if you go back and you look at the history, because I think it's important for you all to understand where quite a bit of this comes from and, you know, and how it's been kind of passed down. And it's so funny because one time Donald Trump was doing a rally and he was talking about the Australians and he called them a bunch of convicts, right? And I just laughed my ass off. And I was laughing not necessarily because I agreed with him, but I did agree with him. But see, the irony of the situation is the same thing applies to America. It's just a bunch of convicts. And so, you know, in in basically, from Britain, 
were sent to America and Australia pretty much as punishment, right? And they would empty their jails and prisons and send them on the big boat ride. And what's interesting is when you go back and you start looking at some of this history, they claim that, you know, rapists and murderers were not eligible, you know, to be transported to these other places, but I don't believe them, right? And so I haven't really done, you know, any really deep, deep research on this, but I've done some, and like I said, I don't believe them when they say that they didn't send rapists and murderers to these places. And so if you go, there is an article that I definitely want you guys to read on JSTOR. And I'm pulling it up now as we're speaking. But, um, you know, it talks about this type of, this, this particular time in history, right? And the title of the article is British Convicts Shipped to American Colonies. And so, let me see here, who wrote this? James Davy Butler, and it's part of the American Historical Review, Volume 2, Number 1, October 1896. And in this particular um, article, it goes through pages 12 through 33. And so right here, you know, it's talking about, you know, again, British convicts shipped to American colonies. And so it says, in 1796, Dr. Johnson, speaking of Americans, said to a friend, sir, they are a race of convicts and and ought to be content with anything we may allow them short of hanging. And it's interesting, doesn't that language sound familiar to you? Isn't that the same type of language they, they use when they talk about Latinx folks and black folks, right? And so, you know, basically they were going over this and, you know, they were talking about, and I'll quote here, convicts were sent to nine of the American settlements. According to one estimate, about 2,000 had been sent for many years annually. And basically we're going to skip and, you know, someone else concludes that the number sent might be about 50,000 altogether, right? And, you know, talking about they and, and you know, what transpired and what happened, you need to go back and you need to read about this and to get a better understanding. Um, if you go over to NPR, they did a show talking about this. Um, I'm waiting for it to pop up here for me but it's talking about convict service, right? And um, come on, pull up for me. So while we're waiting on that to happen, uh, it's talking about the servants that were being sent to America. And, whoops, I don't know. Okay, no, I did. They were being sent to America and how they were basically being sent here. The name of the, okay, so the name of the show is Convict Servants in the American Colonies. Again, Convict Servants in the American Colonies, and this is on NPR. So it's talking about the William Brown House um, 
and it was built in the 1760s over there in Maryland. It's a museum now, but apparently it's the last visible structure of London town. So it was an 18th century tobacco port where thousands of convicts from England entered the colonies to begin their indentured servitude, right? And so apparently in 1718, the Transportation Act was passed in the British Parliament, and they started sending, again, imprisoned convicts to be sold as indentured servants in the American colonies. And many of the colonists, of course, got angry about it, and... Benjamin Franklin apparently said that it was um, equated to packing up North American rattlesnakes and sending them all to England. And and the influx of ex-convicts provided cheap and immediate labor for many planters and merchants. After 1718, approximately 60,000 convicts dubbed the king's passengers were sent from England to America. Actually, they were called the king's bastards, but I guess they cleaned it up for us, right? And so basically, you know, 90% of them stayed in Maryland and Virginia. I can tell you all, all that damn crazy-ass fuckery, most of it comes from Virginia. I don't know what the hell going on up there. But, um, you know, some of them returned back to England, but, you know, go back and read this or listen to it and, and read some history about what was really going on here, you know, and not only, you know, with the convicts sent to America, but also the convicts that were shipped to Australia. So when Donald Trump was calling them a bunch of convicts, I'm laughing because I'm saying to myself, those are your cousins. I feel we should make them all take a 23 and me. You know, and it's just really interesting. You know, they said between 1788 and 1868, about 162,000 convicts were transported by the British government to Australia. And so, you know, they started shipping them to the American colonies. It says the early 17th century, but I think it started even before that. And so um, if you want to read some more, you know, go and look up Botany Bay, you know, and, and read a little bit about that, and maybe James Cook, and, you know, and some of these people that were sent over, you know, some of them were political prisoners, right? But, um, again, they're saying that people convicted of serious crimes such as rape and murder were punishable by death and not transportable. I don't believe that's true, And so, you know, they're trying to say that, you know, it was a social stigma on being convicted and, you know, all of these things. And we know what it's like with these social stigmas, but, you know, look at what's happening with this particular administration, you know, and how things are being changed. What they say, they were giving him a mulligan, a do-over, and you know, and you know, some people are going to get angry with me about this. But even if you go into some of your church houses, you know, look into your pastors and some of those ministers' backgrounds. And what they'll do is they'll start pulling out stories of David and other people in the Bible who were once, you know, murderers, thieves, what have you, and how God allegedly turned them around and made them, you know, 
men after his own heart, right? You know, that social stigma stuff, that's not necessarily working anymore. You know, and again, we talked about respectability politics. Um, we talked about shaming. We've talked about a number of these things. And so, you know, it, it matters. It does matter, and it's important that you guys understand what happened and why they were being sent here. But even more importantly, you need to understand how it stopped. Well, I won't even say it stopped. You know, they they like to claim that it stopped. And, you know, and, you know, America, you know, passed these little laws, and the queen was like, no, nah, damn that, we're still sending these people over here, right? And it didn't matter what they said or how many laws that, you know, that that America enacted, you know. And, again, I believe that some of this is what led up to the Revolutionary War. So it's important for you guys to understand that history, right? And so when, you know, when they would get banished from England, especially when they were banished here to America. Well, you know, you have people out here saying that white people were slaves. No, they weren't. They were indentured servants, you know, and it would be seven years or 14 years. And then basically after they were done, they could go back to Britain or they could stay here, you know. And and if you left early, you know, what do they call it, escaped prisoners or absent without leave, it was punishable by death, you know, and that was for women convicts too. So um, the women were convicted of crimes such as being lewd or walking the streets after 10 at night. Here we go with these curfews, right? But, um, yeah, go back. Go back. Go back and read. And so it's a young man by the name of Anthony Vaver who wrote a book called Bound with an Iron Chain. And it talks about how historians were trying to cover up the fact that prisoners, so many prisoners were sent to America, right? And basically Thomas Jefferson tried to downplay that history. And go back, look it up. You know, these seeds have been sown into this country from the very, very beginning. And you also need to go back and read about what happened in this country before the Mayflower, you know, when they were starving and resorted to cannibalism. And, you know, it was a lot of things that were happening. And so, you know, the so-called free Americans weren't happy about all of these British convicts being sent over here. And so, you know, they were doing things like closing ports and refusing to accept, you know, the ships with the convicts. They were trying to send them away. You had places like Jamaica refusing to allow them to dock and would send them on. And so I guess, you know, in 1670, you know, you know, they were passing these laws, especially in Virginia, that tried to pro- prohibit the convicts from being sent to Virginia. And the king, you know, again, you know, the royalty, they overruled it. I mean, I don't know what they were expecting. 
And so, you know, they tried to tax it. They tried to pass, you know, a tax law in 1722. Well, you know, and this was basically being implemented because, you know, the importation of people of servitude and guilty of heinous crimes, right? And, of course, the king was like, no, that ain't happening. Kiss my ass for that too, right? And so let me see here. What did he say? The king naturally said that this wasn't allowed either, proclaiming in 1731, whereas acts have been passed in America for laying duties on felons imported in direct opposition to an act of parliament for the more effectual transportation of felons. It is our royal will and more pleasure that you approve of no duties laid on the importation of any felons into Pennsylvania. And so, again, you got to go back. You got to go back. You got to read. You know, and I know some people are out there saying, well, what does that have to do with what's happening now? Well, I believe, you know, this behavior has always taken place in this country. And it's always been excused because, you know, they were white. And one of the problems in America is you have too many people in this country that are romanticizing the past, right, while trying to justify the actions of certain people, you know, again, in their effort to oppress others. And, you know, you go back and you have the indentured servants, you have the convicted servants, and you had the slaves. And the convicted servants actually were cheaper than the indentured servants in the slave. And so, you know, you you know, you have to go and do some research and do some research on the uprisings about how some of these indentured servants and convicted felons or convicted servants, if you will, were fighting the slaves. There are also some stories where they gathered together and they worked together to rise up against, you know, the elite. So it's a lot of history, you know, and, um, you know, again, you got too many people romanticizing the past and not talking about, you know, again, the seeds that have been sown into this country from the very beginning, I believe Cuba um, released a lot of convicts and criminals and allowed them to come to the U.S. when the U.S. was attempting, you know, to create a false friendship with Cuba. And, And Castro sent those people over here. So, again, they have sown these seeds. You know, and a lot of the problems that we're having have been manufactured. It has been devised. And, you know, you have these people over here, especially some white people that are saying, oh, well, that was a mistake. That's not what they wanted to do. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, you have people in this country, I understand your intentions are good. But we need for you to open your eyes a little bit more. Most of this stuff, again, is manufactured. It's not a coincidence. 
and you have people out there who benefit and profit from it. Either way, whether it's a positive experience or negative experience, you have people out there that benefit from this. So, again, another article you all can go and look up. Um, This is encyclopediavirginia.org. The name of this article is Convict Labor During the Colonial Period. And it was written by Emily Jones Salmon. And, you know, it talks about, again, the purchase. You know, convict laborers could be purchased for a lower price than indentured white or enslaved African laborers because they already existed outside society's rules. They could be more easily exploited. So I want you to go and read up and get a better understanding of these things, um, you know, and start putting it into context because, again, these mass shooters, even though there are some people that would otherwise argue the fact, but they are disproportionately white. You know, you had Stephen Paddock who shot more than 500 people, killing 58 of them in Vegas. That happened not too long ago. And unfortunately, in this country, people have very, very short memory spans. And they forget. And, you know, what's even more devastating is that these occurrences are becoming so commonplace that it's now being deemed as normal. And had that Stephen Paddock guy been Muslim, they would have been ready to kick every, you know, Muslim out of this country and label them all as terrorists, even the ones that were born here. They would tr- they would try to find a way to get rid of them, you know. But yet, when it comes to these white people, they're they're given excuses, even with the tragedy that just took place in Parkland. You know, they're like, oh, well, he was adopted and he was a loner and, you know, all of these. And then you have some white people that are white nationalists, white supremacists, trying to distance themselves from the situation like, oh, well, his last name was Cruz. He was part Latinx, which is bullshit. You know, and and these are the things they were hearing. Oh, he was just a kid. He was only 19. Whereas black and brown children, you know, they're deemed as adults when they turn 12, it seems. You know, they're not even allowed to enjoy their childhood, not allowed to enjoy their teenage years, and it's horrible. You know, and, um, you know, there are a couple of articles out there Powerful take on whiteness and mass shootings. You may want to go and look that up. Um, you know, go and look up, you know, toxic white male violence and how this problem has been allowed to metastasize, right? And it is like a cancer. And nothing is going to be done about it. One part is because they're receiving money from the NRA and these other groups. And also, I need for you all to understand that fear sells. You know, why do you think you see so many, you know, commercials about having an alarm system, having these 
cameras in your home and, you know, to, even to a certain extent, you know, with some of the, the life insurance policies and things that are out here. It's a lot of fear. There is money in fear. So, again, it goes back to some of this is manufactured. And it's important, again, that you understand what's happening and what's going on, you know, around you, you know, and especially now that we have Donald Trump in office and, you know, these white supremacists, white nationalists are becoming more emboldened, more empowered, you know, the aggrieved white man. And it's taking place. You know, you hear us talking about, you know, white male privilege. And, of course, you know, you get pushback about that, but it's true. You know, and about how this country has, another article, America has silently accepted the rage of white men. And it's not going to get any better. It's not going to get any better. And I don't know about you guys, but I think that military parade that the president wants, I think it's totally absurd. And it should not be allowed to happen, you know. So, you know, let's even go back to, um, you know, James Holmes, the one that went into the movie theater in Colorado and killed 12 people. You know, there are databases of this all over the place. And I would encourage you to go and and do some research on this because it doesn't seem like, you know, what's happening, that, you know, that it's going to change and it's not going to get any better. And there was an article written by, let's see here, Michael Kimmel and Cliff Week, and it's talking about the unbearable whiteness of suicide mass murder. And so, you know, part of the notes for today's show that you can read I'm talking about the population decline in the white community, you know, because at one point what was happening is you had white people dying off, and it's still happening, and nobody seems to understand why. You know, even with the opioid addiction issues we're having, they're not trying to put money towards that to deal with that particular issue. And, you know, they're trying to put money to fix that because white people are dying of overdoses although the black community was penalized for, you know, the the epidemic dealing with the crack, you know, the crack cocaine, and and those people were punished, whereas we're supposed to have sympathy or empathy for the white people that are dying from, you know, opioid overdoses. And, again, these double standards and... You know, there was a couple in Las Vegas that wanted to start the race war, the white man and the white woman. You know, I think that was a couple of years ago. But they wanted to get it started. They wanted to set it off. You know, they they wanted what they wanted. And, and please understand that this did not just start happening. This has been happening in this country for a long time. We just didn't have the Internet. And if you go back and you talk to some of your elders about these things, you know, they can tell you some stories and about how they were terrorized, you know, and how, you know, you have some of these people that would come into these communities and round black people up, especially black men, 
you know, and how some of the black men had to sneak out of their communities in order to go up north to avoid being lynched, right? Okay, to avoid being lynched. And, and you know, my grandfather was one of those guys. And, you know, my mom told me a story about how my grandmother had figured out a way to get my grandfather out of Mississippi because the white men there had been threatening to lynch him. You know, and so a lot of us, that we go back and we talk to our elders, we will find out about these things and get a better understanding as to some of the fear that has been passed down through our families and some of the history, you know, you get that oral history. You know, if you can, you know, get a recorder, record it, write it down. You know, we had Christopher Everett on the show. He was talking about Wilmington and about how the black people were forced out and killed and, you know, escaped from Wilmington, North Carolina, because there was a coup. And they overturned the government and took over because in that particular city, you know, you had black people winning political seats, running the city, and you know, owning property and businesses, and they were flourishing, and the working class and poor whites were angry, and and, and they wanted it back. Even to this day, when they run across deeds that belong to black people, but white people were sitting on the land claiming that they owned it, those, those deeds are still being shredded and torn up and thrown away to this day when they happen to run across it. And so, again, you know, it's it's not only about, you know, white people mass shooting other white people. You know, it's about the mass shooting and the genocide of other cultures as well and how it's not being addressed in this country and also how they are scapegoating the mentally ill most Mentally ill people are not trying to shoot you. They're not. And you know, I want you to go out and get some some of the statistics, get some of the information that's out there, and and basically stop Trump and these politicians from focusing on mental health in regards to this gun control issue, because again. You know, they want to say that these people are mentally ill, but yet they're taking the money away. They continue to stigmatize these people. They're closing down these hospitals and these asylums. You know, they're taking these resources away. And then they turn around and lie with statistics and say the majority of the people in jail and prison are, you know, mentally ill to some varying degree but not acknowledging that they created the situation, they manufactured that type of environment with decisions that they made. And also they don't want to admit that, you know, the NRA has them in their back pocket. So, you know, again, you know, the mentally ill are, you know, they're having their civil rights violated by these people. And I'm glad that some of these disability rights groups are out here, you know, pushing back on this, you know, and 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 pushing back on how they are, you know, again, perpetuating that myth or that stigma 
that mental illness is what causes these 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 atrocities, these mass murders. You know, and so you know, again, if they're going to use that excuse that these you know white male domestic terrorists thugs, you know, are mentally ill, then why aren't they testing these white men and boys, these angry white men and boys? Why aren't they putting together funding? Why aren't they opening more facilities? Why aren't they opening businesses or encouraging businesses to hire, you know, some of these people? And I'm talking about across the board, black, white, red, yellow, green, purple, you know, hiring some of these people with mental health issues. Give them jobs so that they can take care of themselves. There needs to be programs out there so that they can learn how to live in society. Some of them have no idea, you know, how to budget their money, how to spend their money. Many of them have no idea how to, how important it is to be, to work on time you know, to be clean, to, you know, be self-sufficient or as self-sufficient as possible, but knowing when to reach out for help. You know, you may get a roommate, learning how to get along with other people. But, hell, that goes beyond people that are mentally ill. I know some people that are not mentally ill, and they can't quite get it together either. You know, and so, again, here we go with the stigmas. But something has to be done. Because you can't scapegoat the mentally ill while basically pulling the carpet from under them. That's not how that works. And we can't allow them to continue on with that. Because, again, you know, we're the ones that suffer from it, and it will be our children and our children's children that will continue to suffer. You know, um, there are some articles out here. This one here, mass shootings in the U.S., when, where they have occurred in 2018. And it was written by Cortland Jeffrey. I want you to go out and I want you to read that. You know, it's, it's really interesting because in 2017, we had a total of 346 mass shootings, basically almost, you know, one a day, right? And since the beginning of this year, you know, you have one group of people saying that there have been 30 mass shootings, but I think it's really closer to about 85, you know, and I need to go and do some more research and pull some more information. Um, And then, again, there is no official definition for mass shooting. So, you know, you have all of that coming into play. And, of course, you got people who like to play with words, you know, as we see on some of these Sunday shows when they come out there and they try to spin the situation. So if you go over to the Gun Violence Archive, you know, they have some information about that there, but just doing some general research will help you to get a better understanding of what's happening out here. And, again, I want you to understand that fear is a business. Fear is a business. There is money to be made. I also want you to go over to NPR and um, 
they have an episode here, and it's talking about the forces driving, you know, middle-aged white people's deaths, right, to get a better understanding of what's going on. Because, again, they're trying to deflect, derail, and deny. And, you know, basically people of color are the ones that suffer the most from this because they tend to have lighter sentences for white people, particularly white men, when they create and, 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 and commit these types of crimes. So go and read that. Um, this is by Jessica Body B O D D Y Body Bodie, but it's on NPR. The forces driving middle-aged white people's deaths of despair. You know, because you do have some white people that are not dying from opioid overdoses; they're just dying. Period. So the life expectancy is going down. You know, the numbers are decreasing. And so, you know, with some of these white nationalists, white supremacists, they're talking about how the white race is dying off. But yet you're going over there and shooting up schools and shooting up movie theaters, you know, when the majority of the victims are white. So, you know, when black people go out and protest and fight back, and burn down, you know, stores and businesses in our communities, you always have white people saying, well, why are they destroying the stores and and all of this and restaurants in their communities is only going to hurt them. So why are you killing up a bunch of white folks while lamenting that the white population is declining? And what about the white babies? You know, those white babies that you're trying to force white women to have by denying them access to reproductive care, whether they want birth control or abortions or what have you, you're denying them access to those resources. But yet you turn around and you go and you kill up a bunch of white people. Isn't that kind of defeating the purpose? And so I just think need for you to think about these things and to get a better understanding. But, yeah, you just got some white people that are just dying off just because. So, you know, life expectancy rates have been changing. And, um, you know, again, you hear all of these sentiments about, you know, jobs for white men, you know, birthers, tea partiers. You know, and that's what we're dealing with in Congress now as well as some of these, you know, state legislatures around the country. You know, so the Tea Partiers and the birthers, they had an agenda, and they are working. Look at who's the president. And so, you know, you hear all of these sentiments about creating jobs for Americans, specifically for white men and especially white men that do not have college degrees. And so, you know, and you'll hear some of these same white people, especially the men, that are saying that they want a man's man's job. They want to work with their hands. They want to go out and work in nature, work in a plant, you know, or what have you. They don't want to sit down at a desk. 
and learn how to program. Now, in some of these cases, these people that have been displaced have been offered training in STEM free of charge, you know, on-the-job training. So they're being paid to learn these things, but that's not what they want to do. And they have every right to determine what they want to do, you know, but at the same time, you know, they're upset because there are not a lot of positions for tool and die makers, not a lot of positions for welders. I mean, even I was shocked when U.S. Steel went under. And so, you know, it's a very complex situation. And, you know, if you go to this NPR, you know, story, The Forces Driving Middle-Aged White People's Deaths of Despair, it talks about how white people with college degrees aren't suffering from the same economic um, despair, the same economic, uh, you know, lack of opportunities. And so the life expectancy decline isn't necessarily affecting white people with college degrees the same way. And so you can find that in the Brookings Papers on Economic Activity. But I just need for you guys to understand what's happening here and how some of these seeds have been sown into this very culture, the very foundation of America. You know, and that's outside of the indigenous people. What's happened to them is criminal. You know, but that's not what I came to talk about today. But, um, yeah, yeah, go go do some reading. Go do some searching. You know, understand that these people lie with statistics, yet they're not going to talk about how they created and manufactured some of these problems, right? You know, they're not going to talk about, you know, rates of suicide that are happening and that are increasing amongst white men. Same thing with drug overdoses and alcohol-related deaths are higher among men, but especially white men. You know, and um, according to this, you know, the rates are the same for white men and women without college education. And what's so interesting is, you know, when Barack Obama was running, you know, you had white people out here calling him um, a snob or an elitist. And even when you hear Donald Trump speaking sometimes, when he talks about education, and basically, you know, disdaining education. The most educated group of people in this country are black women, yet we're at the lowest rung on the ladder. We're not protected. You know, we're taken advantage of, we're exploited, we're killed, you know, and and that's not just by white people. And it's not, you know, just by black men. You know, you got some black women that are misogynists as well. And so, you know, it's a lot to unpack. But, you know, I hope I gave you enough information to pique your curiosity, if you will, to want to go out to do some studying. 
and get, you know, a better understanding of what's happening. You know, they're pointing to Nevada and Utah, but specifically Utah, um, in the, in regards to dealing with the opioid crisis and the suicide rates and how they're increasingly going up. And, you know, who expected that? So, yeah, 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 yeah. I want you guys to go out, do some reading, get a better understanding as to what's going on around you. But again, I believe, you know, the chickens have come home to roost. You know, they've created these situations. They've manufactured a lot of these problems. They don't want to deal with it. They don't want to talk about it. You know, they just want the rest of us to shut up, fall in line, shut up and sing, shut up and dribble, just shut the hell up, go somewhere and set it down. You know, and it's important that you guys understand, you know, the history of this country, how it's affecting us. But again, as I stated before, the March 24th march that these young people are planning, I am definitely wishing them well and trying to see what, you know, we can do to help contribute to encourage them to move forward because something does have to be done, you know. But in addition to gun control, we do need to address issues about mental health care in this country and the stigma behind it and, you know, again, you know, respectability politics. And, you know, it's it's just, it's, it's outrageous. And especially, especially when you have these people knowingly, you know, distorting, you know, the information and misleading folks and misleading, you know, misleading the public. They know exactly what they're doing. You know, you have people out here that will try to, you know, make excuses for them, but they know exactly what they're doing. And so I remember on one of those talking head shows on MSNBC, they were talking about when Donald Trump made it easier for certain people, certain mentally ill people designated to be on the list being able to acquire firearms. You know, there are no pictures of it. They don't want to talk about it. They want, want to act like it never happened. When his entire, you know, it seems as though he's just trying to erase any improvement or any anything created under the Obama administration. Now, I had problems with the Obama administration. I want to make sure that I'm upfront and honest about it. But at the same time, you know, you're you're further exacerbating you know, a situation in this country and not wanting to take credit for it and trying to find other people to blame for it. And it's not just, you know, and again, I want to make sure that people understand that it's not just the Trump administration that's at fault. You know, there were some issues in the Obama administration regarding this. 
And, um, you know, so what's interesting is, you know, whenever anything happens in the black community, you know, or if you have white people trying to deflect and derail the conversation, they'll say, well, what about black-on-black crime? Well, what about white-on-white crime? If you're going to to state that there is such a thing as black-on-black crime, which there isn't, then you must acknowledge white-on-white crime. And that is when you get the crickets and the tumbleweeds. And so, you know, when when you have white people asking you, well, what are you going to do about black-on-black crime? You know, what I want to say is we're going to follow your example of what you did about white-on-white crime because they're not addressing these issues. They're not trying to find solutions to these problems. They just continue to perpetuate you know, domestic terrorism, and let's call it what it is, is domestic terrorism. You know, you want to talk about, you know, black and brown kids in their communities and how they're domestic terrorists, but you're eerily silent when it comes to white people and some of the nonsense that's happening in the white community. And also, if you go and you look up the statistics about the number of white people that are killed in this country, um, you know, a white person, white people are killed at six times the rate by other whites than by blacks. And go and look that up, do the research on that. You know, they're so busy trying to paint black men as rapists and too busy trying to paint black women as you know, mammies and sapphires and Jezebels, you know, all of those stereotypes there, you know, too busy deflecting, you know, all of these stereotypes and generalities while not addressing the issues in their own community. You know, we really need to think about it. It needs to be addressed and is, again, only going to get even progressively worse. So something has to get done. we got to do something. We cannot allow this to keep happening. And, you know, you know, and as I talk about these issues, you know, that's not to say that, you know, we have, we don't have any issues in our communities. We do. But we also see the double standards that are taking place and that are being implemented, that are being perpetuated in this country. But, yeah, I just thought it was interesting and I thought it was important for you guys to understand the history of this country and, you know, the irony, you know, especially when you had Donald Trump talking about the Australians and calling them criminals and convicts you know, not realizing his cousins are over there, even though he's from Germany. His family is from Germany. Same damn thing, you know. Um, So it needs to be addressed. So I also want you guys to go out and look up white globalism. And we started sounding the bell about what was happening over in Europe many, many years ago. 
and you had people ignoring it or or saying that, oh, that will never happen here or saying that we need to be concerned with what's happening over here. And, you know, what they failed to realize is that what was happening over there was on its way here and that none of this is a coincidence. This is designed. This is an agenda. And if you want to get a better understanding with what's happening with the Russia thing, you know, a lot of these white supremacists and white nationalists look up to Russia because to many of them, Russia is really the last country that's deemed as a white country, at least in their eyes, right? And Putin knew exactly what he was doing, and I do think they're over there laughing their ass off, but for totally different reasons than what Trump is saying. So anyway, you know, again, go read research, ask questions, challenge folks, make them pull out the receipts, but make sure you got you some receipts to pull out too because you got some folks out there that will take you there and drop you off. So you better be prepared. (laughs) Be prepared to be challenged and be prepared to learn some things. And also, in some cases, be prepared to be wrong. You know, and, and it happens. But that's how you grow. So, you know, as I've stated in the past before, no one likes to be wrong, but if you are, it's okay. You learn better, you do better. You know, there's no need to sit there and wallow, you know, in shame because you got something wrong. That's how you learn. That's how you get better. And there's nothing to be ashamed of. Everybody gets something wrong. You know, and if you aren't changing, then you really aren't living. You know, question whether you have a pulse or not. Change is scary, but change is very necessary. And especially, you know, with the culture that has been cultivated and fostered in the country. So, guys, you know, like I said, a lot of this shit is scary. And it is because we're living through it, you know, and it doesn't look like it's going to get any better anytime soon, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. So I would just tell you to be encouraged, keep speaking your truth, keep marching to the beat of your own drum, but most importantly, you know, again, we are here to challenge you to think live for yourself, not convert you. I want you to challenge other people. Challenge them to live for themselves. Challenge them to think for themselves. It's very important. And and you can have dialogue. You can have conversation and disagree. It's okay. But, again, learn something from the situation. So, again, this is Kim with Black Freethinkers. I appreciate you guys. I missed you last week. I don't know what I'm going to talk about next week, but I'm sure there's going to be plenty of fuckery happening this week that will motivate my ass to bring forth another show. All right, guys, you enjoy your Sunday. Take care. Bye-bye.